0: Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit slash Play100 and use code Play100. That's code Play100 at slash Play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy.
1: Style, Space, Functionality. The 2023 Chevrolet Traverse is a great option for people with disabilities. It was designed with purposeful solutions that help make driving more accessible, so you can get through the day comfortably and efficiently no matter where you need to go. Chevy Accessibility. Engineered to go forward. Learn more at chevy.com accessibility. This week on Red Inca, we talk about the fact that helmets are still not worn uniformly by batters in cricket. And that seems odd with everything we know about concussions and the death of Phil Hughes. So i got a very passionate guest to come on and talk about this.
2: My name is Nehal Pradhan, former India cricketer, sports writer, YouTuber, commentator.
1: We talk about the fact that batters need to wear helmets even when facing spin. We chat about Sultan Zarawani, Bermuda batsman Brian Close, Virat Kohli, freak accidents, concussion, helmet design, Seatbelts and times we've been hit in the head. So I brought you on to talk about helmets and concussion and everything. And I think you might know this story, but it's one of my favorite bad stories from cricket ever, which was the UAE captain in the 1996 World Cup was a guy called Sultan Zarawani, who I don't think anyone thought was the best cricketer in the UAE. But because he was a Sultan, he ended up playing for the UAE in a World Cup. And he came out to bat against South Africa in a floppy cap in 1996. And the bowler was Alan Donald, who, for those of you too young to know, Alan Donald's nickname was White Lightning, which gives you a bit of an idea how quick he was. Pat Simcox, who I think wasn't even playing, was like 12th man and was on the field. And he said to Alan Donald, you've got to bounce him because he didn't have a helmet on. And of course, Alan Donald not only bounced him, but hit him right in the head. And I think Zarawani ended up going to hospital. I'm going to say that 1996 is really the moment where people really start wearing a helmet almost full time. The only player I can think of after Sultan Zarawani, who didn't wear a helmet against quick bowlers a lot, was young Ricky Ponting. And he wouldn't do it when he started his innings, but he would do it when uh, you know in the 30 and 40 over mark. And the only guys I know now who don't wear helmets when they face quick bowling are the Bermuda guys. And there's a bunch of brothers and cousins from Bermuda. And I've seen them play. None of them can play shortball. So they should all be wearing helmets. I have no idea why they don't wear helmets. But from about 96 onwards, you would say that we're in the first sort of almost full helmet era. Would you agree?
2: I wish I could agree. I mean, the whole problem with the, the fact that we're having this conversation is we're not in the full helmet era. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, firstly, I have to say, are you sure that person is an actual sultan? Because sultan is often used just as a name. I know a
1: few sultans. I'm pretty sure he was. He was Emirati. So there weren't many Emiratis who actually played for the UAE because it's mostly Emirates Airlines workers, isn't it? Pakistanis and Indians and Sri Lankans and, and uh, you know, those sorts of immigrants who go over for work. But I'm pretty sure he was, at the very least, of a higher caste within that UAE team. And I don't think he'd ever faced anyone as quick as Alan Donald. And I also don't think that he thought Alan Donald would bounce him.
2: I feel bad for the guy. I just feel bad for the guy. I mean, I, I kind of uh, have been in a similar situation. We grew up, you know, playing, I mean, in women's cricket, domestic level, no one is really quick. I was probably the quickest bowler around. And then since I didn't have to face myself, I didn't wear a helmet usually while I was batting. And uh, then, you know, we kind of graduated to the senior level and uh, start getting picked on the serious stuff. And my first India A game where, uh, Everyone was in India in 2007 for a quadrangular series and we were playing against New Zealand. And Rebecca Rolls, the wicketkeeper, was so tall that even when she sat down, she seemed like she was much taller than the stumps. <laughs> and uh, who was, I think it was Louise Milliken, the bowler, and she was bouncing our top order. And they were wearing helmets, but I was like, oh shit, i got to wear a helmet. And I had one in my kid bag and uh, I fumbled around, I got to wearing it. And uh, I was so nervous by the time, you know, our top order had been blown away and I walked out to bat number 8, 9, 10, something like that, that uh, I was so nervous wearing my helmet that I forgot my gloves. And then I had to walk halfway back because I forgot my gloves and then went back again. So when you grow up almost not wearing a helmet, suddenly having to wear it In that kind of situation, you almost probably, I can imagine that that guy took a chance saying that, you know, I probably play better without it, so I'm just not going to wear it Mm -hmm. at all. And that still happens so much. I mean, forget women's cricket, even men's cricket, there are guys who bat against spin without helmets and it just drives me crazy.
1: It's really interesting. So I started playing cricket in the late 80s through the 90s. So we just got to the era in Australia where you were expected to wear a helmet in some clubs and not other clubs. And quite often I would open the batting and I would wear the helmet for about six overs and then and take the helmet off. And so I was right in that period where just to explain how weird the area I came from was, there was one team where there was a bunch of players from a team who never wore gloves. So if you played against that team, right, you can imagine if you go out to wear a helmet against that team and they're not even wearing gloves. So there was a whole sort of macho. You're kidding
2: me. No one wearing gloves in a hardball match when you can probably get bounced. In Australia, the bounciest place in the world.
1: Not even in Australia. We played on synthetic wickets. There's no way not to bowl a bouncer on a synthetic wicket. Do you know what I mean? Like As a spinner, you can bowl a bouncer if you want to. It was ridiculous. So there was this whole macho thing. And the one thing I noticed about helmets, which I always found really interesting, when you're in Australia, if you wore a helmet, you got bounced because they were like, oh, he's afraid of the short ball. And when I came to England, if you didn't wear a helmet, you got bounced because they were like, he doesn't have a helmet, we'll aim for him. So there's all these sort of different, what, shibboleths with helmets and things. And if you wear a helmet in like a low-level English game, people still sort of go, why are you wearing that? No one here is fast enough. The pitchers don't bounce. So there's still this real holdout when it comes to the recreational game. But let's go to your point from a minute ago when you're talking about the spinners, because that's one thing that you have talked about a lot. And I think it needs to be talked about a lot. Your problem is that you believe that if someone's not wearing a helmet to a spinner, the hard ball is still flying around. You can still get a top edge off a spinner. There are other things that can happen. Plus, wasn't there a player in the IPL who got hit in the back of the head with a throw? I know he did have a helmet on. Your concern is that basically we're up to, what, about 90% use of helmets, but there's still that other 10% that people want to hold on to.
2: Yeah, the problem is that that 10% is done by the guys like Birat Kohli, MS Dhoni. These are the guys who don't wear helmets when they're uh, facing spin. And um, you talk about 90%. 90% of India probably follows these guys. 90% of India, especially 90% of India who plays cricket probably watches these guys, probably emulates these guys. They want to be Virat Kohli. They want to be as cool as MS Dhoni. And, you know, then not wearing a helmet becomes one of those cool factors. Yeah, I don't need a helmet, you know, against spin, (laughs) spin win. It doesn't really threaten me. And... Then what happens is, uh, I'll probably give it to the Kohlis and the Dhonis that, you know, they're not going to get hit when they're batting to a spinner. But then what happens is the kids who are watching them don't wear helmets when they're batting to a spinner and who aren't as skilled. And then they will go for a sweep shot and the ball will hit the back of their bat and then come onto their face or girls. I'm not even getting into the whole freak accident thing. You know, even uh, at elite level, a freak accident can happen and a throw can hit you at the back of the head or it can bounce off the stumps and maybe hit you. It it Just anything can happen. At the non-striker's end, when Dhoni is batting and Kohli is not wearing a helmet and Dhoni is going to smash one straight past you and it'll probably, I mean, be really fast and hard to avoid and what if you get hit? I mean, it's just daft, if you ask me, and it's infuriating. And I, I and I don't find why you know there isn't a law against it.
1: One of the things I find really interesting about the whole thing is you and I both grew up not always wearing a helmet and always wearing a helmet. The idea that you go between the two for me is a really really interesting thing because you, you tell me, but I think batting with a helmet is a hard thing to get used to if you grew up not batting with one like consistently. Like it, it is, it feels differently on your head, doesn't it? So if you're going between the two, it's almost like they're changing the style of batting. So there's also just a batting technique thing where I just don't think it's as sensible an option. But when you're talking about the safety and the kids and everything, it looks like cricket is still a little bit far behind when it comes to this. Surely pretty much every level of junior cricket in the world, how much should be mandatory now?
2: It's not just cricket. I mean, it's culture in general which is behind. You're talking about, you know, helmets being uncomfortable while you're doing something uh, pretty important like batting. I'll tell you what's Uncomfortable when you're doing something pretty important. Seat belts. I mean, seat belts are uncomfortable if you're driving, and you know you want to focus on learning how to drive. Helmets on two-wheelers are uncomfortable, and there is a huge resistance in India. There is a almost like cultural resistance in India to wearing seat belts as well as helmets, and there are rules and they are enforced to varying degrees in varying times and places, but probably. 20 to 30% of two-wheeler riders in India, and there are a lot of us, only 20 to 30% wear a helmet. Then you have this like in-between rule where you know the person who's actually riding the bike will always wear a helmet, but they won't have a helmet for the person sitting behind them. Hmm. Or even if the person sitting behind them has a helmet on the bike, they won't wear it because they're sitting behind. And I don't know how that really <laughs> makes a difference. So there is this cultural resistance to something that should be common sense. And you're right, it is uncomfortable. You have to get used to it, but you have to get used to it. I mean, it's necessary. It can save hmm. your life. And... Why do I still need to prove that it's
1: necessary? One of my favorite stories from India a few years ago was I was in a taxi with a driver and he got pulled over and fined for having a seatbelt. So the police officer fined him and then he put the seatbelt on, drove off. And as he went past the police officer, he just took it back off again. And all I could think is, okay, if you don't want to wear it, I get that. But why would you just risk getting another fine straight after you've got a fine? And he's just there. He could have seen you take the seatbelt off. It was so weird to me. Anyway, I do understand all that. Now, do you know much about the history of helmets and, and how they came in? You know about Mike Briley and the skull cap and everything, where he put, he wore something under his hat. And then, of course, the, the early helmets. My question to you, and you've written about this a little bit, and we'll link to them in the show notes, but... I just don't think cricket helmets are still designed perfectly. And I know in one way they can't be. So I don't know how much you know about NFL and concussion protocols and everything. But essentially, if the ball still hits you in the head very hard, your brain is still going to bounce around. But it stops your head getting dented more often than not, although not always, as we've found. And I'm not a designer, and I'm sure there are more qualified people out there. But I know you've thought about this a lot. I just don't think that the cricket helmet at this point is still designed particularly well.
2: No, it's not. I mean, and there are gaps. There are like, you know, almost areas where the ball can get through. And there are areas which allow the ball to get through because of our instincts, because the first instinct is to turn away. And then as soon as you turn away, it exposes the back of the neck. And I mean, we've all seen very gruesomely and uh, scarily what happened in 2014, where it was the back of the neck area. So even after that, I mean, the last ashes... 2019, right? Steve Smith got hit on the same area, the back of the neck, and he wasn't wearing one of those stem guards. So even after something as shocking as Phil Hughes' death, you know there is like a huge gap in helmet design. Forget the quality of a helmet and getting hit on a place where there's already some protection. You know that there's an area where there isn't protection, where the ball is likely to hit you if you turn uh, your head away. And you don't wear it. You don't wear it because, you know, you're uncomfortable. I mean, Steve Smith sounds like one of the Indian uncles I know who says, nahi beta, my head pains when I wear a helmet. And helmet design isn't perfect. So you have to kind of try and plug what holes there are. And I'm not an equipment expert. And I don't know what needs to happen for helmet designs to get better. But fill the gaps. I mean, the ship is sinking. It's got a hole in it. You need to plug that one first before thinking about you're not building a new model of that same ship.
1: One other interesting thing I found is there's a disconnect. So I talk about 1996. So up until that period, most players probably faced fast bowling without a helmet. It was probably very rare before that. They may not have done it all the time because helmets had started to come through. But, you know, I know when I played cricket, we had like, two or three helmets and if one of them got broke, you know, one guy had a helmet and one guy didn't have a helmet and we came from quite a poor area. So very few players owned their own helmets at that point. And so not everyone had them and then you would take them off once you got past the first part of your innings. Or So most players came through, which meant that they had one style of technique for playing the short ball. This new era of players, you talk about taking their eyes off the ball. If you watch the older players play the short ball, they didn't take their eyes off the ball nearly as much. So, what the helmet has done is it is an imperfect thing because I think players think it is much more protective than it actually is when we know it doesn't particularly help with concussion a lot of the time. And we also know that because of the neck and also the throat and the jaw and those sorts of things, not to mention that. um, Paul Stuart Broad have got the ball through the visor as well. So we know it's not a perfect implement, but batsmen are batting like it's a perfect implement. So we almost, at some stage, we almost have the worst of both worlds where we have batsmen turning their back on balls and still not being protected correctly.
2: I don't know how much uh, faith to put into these stories of, you know, uh, batters in previous eras not taking your eyes off the ball because when something's coming at you and you realize that, you know, you're not in a position to play it, and the first or the last thing that you will do whether you've got a helmet or not, is basically take evasive action and that involves getting your eyes off the ball. So I'm not sure. I mean, we hear, I mean, all these stories are now kind of part of the legend of, you know, how Tawaskar uh, faced the West Indies fast bowlers without much protection and the face grills weren't really common but I think helmets are a decent protection. I'm, I'm not probably going to agree with you there. I think helmets are a decent protection because I'm coming from a place of, you know, not wearing a helmet versus wearing a helmet. Whereas there is room for a discussion about, you know, even after wearing a helmet, how safe are you? Mm. But my point is that we aren't there yet. We're almost not there at a point where you can say that, you know, we need to uh, talk more about uh, improving helmet design because the ICC rules don't make it mandatory to wear a helmet. We can talk a lot about helmet design and how it can get better and, you know, what the gaps are. But one of the biggest gaps is that not enough people are wearing them. And I'm talking about kind of low-level cricket.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I am, though, after this podcast, going to send you through a video of Brian Close playing Michael Holding so you can can see the difference. I think there is a, a technical difference with the way that players are going. But you're right, when it comes down to it, the bigger problem is that not enough people are wearing them and that they're not automatically... Now, in one of your articles, you talked about being hit once. So I was only ever hit once without a helmet. And to be honest, where I was hit, I would have been hit in the exact same spot if I'd been hit a helmet because I was hit right under the chin. I was trying to whip an outswing bowler across the line, got a leading edge straight up into my chin, gave me a bit of a blood lip, but I was fine. But weirdly, that's the only time I ever got hit in the head with or without a helmet. But you had an incident, didn't you?
2: I had two personally. Um, One was just a stray ball in the nets and I was just walking off the grounds and there was a team, uh, the opposition team doing nets and a stray ball just came out of nowhere and hit me. So that's the kind of thing you can't protect against. Your injury is the kind of thing you can't protect against, you know, despite taking the best possible precautions. I mean, we're not going to play cricket wearing NFL hockey gear. So let's be realistic. So you can't protect against certain kinds of accidents, but then you can protect against the first kind which I had, which was batting in the nets and a full toss. And I tried to just cross bat it and I missed it. It hit the back of my bat and then smashed me in the grill. Scary to think about, you know, what would have happened if uh, I wasn't wearing a helmet. And I've seen a teammate. She... Got hit, I think, in the same kind of situation, either a short ball or a full toss, which came off the back of her bat and smashed into her nose. And she had, like, scars on her nose forever Mm -hmm. for the rest of her life. She had to be airlifted from the ground for plastic surgery and whatnot. And thank God it was a state-level game with, you know, money from the state association able to cover her surgery and whatnot. But so easy for it to happen in a a lower-level game, in a club game. And uh, you made a point uh, earlier also about the fact that, you know, because a certain club or a certain team or an individual isn't financially well off, a helmet isn't probably one of the high priority items in their kit. And that's something that culturally we need to uh, change because I mean, uh, I'm coaching a few kids and I'm constantly encouraging them, you know, invest in a helmet. I don't call it spending on a helmet, go invest in a helmet. And then they do, they do resist wearing it. One of the kids, Forgot so it at my place and just hasn't collected it for a month. And and I'm like, your helmet is here. How are you batting? No, no, I'm batting fine. That's okay. But it is something that probably needs to come in through the next generation. And that's mm. why, I mean, Kohli and Dhoni piss me off.
1: I mean, that makes sense. The, the other thing is, and I know it's slightly separate because it's involved in even when there are helmets, but the whole concussion debate is quite interesting. So... Mm. My theory is that there are a lot of opening batsmen out there who field at short leg, who are suffering from a form of CTE. And I know that um, Herbert Chang, the um, West Indian Rebel player, his family believed that he has it. But obviously, unfortunately, with CTE, you can't get tested. And I remember when um, I was at the World Cup, and I can't remember who the batsman was, but one of the Afghanistani batsmen got bounced and, like, waved away the doctor. So there was no proper concussion protocol. And so we all asked about it in the press conference. And Gulbuddin Naib, he said, I know we're Afghanistanis. We've got stronger heads than other people. And you're just like, oh, we have got so far to go. This is probably way too far back for you. But Richie Richardson was sort of the last batsman who was famous for never wearing a helmet. If you go back and there's actually, I think this is online. I don't know if Roe Belinda or someone else has put this online. But when Richie Richardson goes out to bat, with a helmet for the first time. And there's almost a sadness within the commentators that it's changed. Like, oh no, the last brave man has departed. And we really need to get past that because realistically, it's got nothing to do with being brave or whatever. As you said, a lot of it is just about showing the right thing to kids.
2: Yeah, I mean, this macho element does exist. I mean, half the reason I think why kids at lower levels, you know, don't wear the helmet is because A, they'll probably get teased being the only kid in their team to wear a helmet. And then, you know, their parent will force them to buy a helmet. They'll go to the ground, they'll put on a helmet and somebody will say something, you know, you're the scaredy cat of the team or, you know, Darpog, Fattu, all those kind of things. And then the helmet sits in the kit bag for a while and probably only comes out if they're fielding at short leg. But Yeah. The concussion uh, discussion is probably another layer to this. It's how much are we willing to protect? I see all these things about concussion substitutes. And I still get the feeling that, you know, we're not getting the basics right. I mean, if you are making concussion substitutes compulsory in put, by putting it in the playing conditions and, you know, accounting for the seriousness of this head injury, why can't you also put in the playing conditions that, you know, you have to have a helmet to account for a seriousness of a freak head injury? Because with the concussion, you're probably talking about people who get bounced and who are already wearing helmets, but the ICC playing conditions have an if in them. How can the Mm -hmm. ICC playing conditions have an if in them is basically what really gets me. And umpires, umpires probably, uh, we have a few umpires who wear helmets. They're right in the line of fire. And then they'll come up with some creative solutions like Bruce Oxenford, Shield. Mm -hmm. So there's probably so much that we need to talk about before concussion substitutes. And it's great that we're talking about concussion substitutes. But are we waiting for another Philip Hughes? Or another freak accident that we all, that'll send the entire cricket world into mourning before we really take this seriously. That's what I'm afraid about.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So when Phil Hughes died, I wrote a piece about it and I said that it'd be interesting to see what a moral philosopher would think about the bouncer. Like if you strip away kind of all the cricket. Stuff and we we talk about bouncers like they've kind of always been a thing, but realistically, before World War Two, they weren't used that much. And in women's cricket, they've only been a thing for like the last twenty years or so. Men's cricket, maybe the last fifty years. I know Bodyline was before that, but even after Bodyline, they stopped bowling them a little bit for a while. So we've entered this new thing, and. and This moral philosopher actually got back to me and I think he ended up writing a piece for Crick Info and you've never seen a piece where someone was more attacked by cricket fans for suggesting that if if you were to build cricket today, you wouldn't have a bouncer. And I don't know if you saw, but Malcolm Knox wrote a similar piece recently. As a fast bowler, I thought you might be an interesting person to ask about. What's your feeling on the bouncer?
2: So I've hit people. I've hit people without helmets and it's not fun. The first match I ever played... I was the quickest amongst, you know, the kids who were playing and there was another kid. She was a tail ender. I shouldn't have bowled it, but she was short. She was really short. So in my defense, and I'm really tall. So my short of length ball hit her in the head and it's not fun. I mean, she, she got a cut and she was bleeding and, you know, close to tears and that kind of situation. But like you said, with women's cricket, the bouncer kind of developed or evolved later. So only after I had been playing at state level for about four or five years, did I actually start using a bouncer. And I kind of loved it because because no one knew how to face a bouncer because so few women bowled a bouncer. So I got a lot of wickets that season. So I wasn't complaining. If people weren't wearing helmets, I would tell them, go wear helmets. I am going to bounce you. So that was probably my uh, moral justification of it. And also, I mean, from a personal level, I wasn't quick enough to kill someone, probably. So I really wasn't worried about, you know, something more than uh, uh, I didn't think about concussions at the time and I didn't worry more than, you know, just probably giving them a, a bit of a headache and maybe worst case scenario a cut or something like that. But I would always tell them just go and wear a helmet, please. And that's how I kind of justified it. And you're right. I mean, the game has evolved as bouncers have come in. I was just reading an article this morning where Mithali Raj was talking about moving from a heavy bat to a lighter bat because bouncers became more and more common in uh, women's cricket. And from the skill point of view, I think there is a place for the bouncer in the game. And I think it's basically up to us to educate next generation in both the skills and the precautions that you need to guard against it. Because any sport, especially any ball sport, involves an element of risk, which can, in the very small possibility, be costly in terms of taking a life. Kids who have certain pre-existing diseases can get a heart attack because they take up athletics. So you don't know that it's a risk, it's an unknown that you won't find out about unless it actually happens. So I think the sensible thing to do is to just take every bloody precaution that you can.
1: Just so you're aware, I'm pretty sure that you should put on your Twitter profile, I wasn't fast enough to kill anyone, probably, which is maybe one of my favorite lines ever used on Red Inca. I absolutely love that. My other question is insurance and how all those sorts of things work. So I don't understand how so many leagues are, and I'm talking about the organized leagues, realistically. I don't understand how so many of them around the world are getting away with this. I know that in the UK and I think in New Zealand, cricket grounds are having a lot of problems with... Balls flying out of the ground, especially now that, you know, uh, batsmen are swinging as hard as they can and they're lighter bats and people now are playing in a more T20 style and all that sort of thing. And that's become a huge problem in the UK where you have like the village pitch is like in the middle and there are like houses all the way around. I remember when I played at Barnes, like literally you could mishit Essex into someone's house <laughs> and I've played in many England grounds like that. But I, I know that's been a, pr- a problem occasionally in, in Australia and, and New Zealand So I wonder how that sort of thing comes in. You would think that every league in the world, every player would have to be wearing a helmet from an insurance point of view. I mean, if you think of Virat Coley, I know you said before, it's unlikely that he gets hit in the head, but all he needs is one ball to bounce a little bit more when he's playing and something happens. He gets hit in the head. That's an expensive head. That's a billion dollar head you're talking about there. For the BCCI, do you remember when Shane Warne once insured his fingers because he knew that, you know, if he got an injury to his finger, that would be the end? Virat Kohli's head is worth more than Shane Warne's fingers were, and I just feel that it's a silly business move not ensuring he's wearing a helmet at all times.
2: It is. I mean, I think the, the way both countries look at cricket and England and Australia and, uh, and India are kind of different. And I'm not sure about the legal standpoint, just the cultural standpoint that, you know, because you have contracts in England for even domestic players, the county is probably responsible for the safety of the players is what I'm guessing from an insurance point of view or from a legal point of view, they would be the ones responsible. Whereas in India, state players don't have contracts. So therefore players are basically paid on a per match per day basis. And they're free agents who basically choose to turn up for the state. With contracts being in place for the men's cricket team and the women's cricket team, Potentially, you could see that kind of a situation arising where, you know, it's in your contract that you have to wear all safety precautions for fear of the BCCI losing so much revenue if something, some kind of freak accident happens to you. And it makes good business sense to put that in your contract. But culturally, I think the difference between the England, Australia and the India is that there is a, a duty of care. Yeah. The concept of duty of care that exists in Australia and England doesn't really exist in India. So the employers are very rarely held accountable for the safety of the employees. I mean, we don't even look at cricketers as employees. We kind of look at them as individual stars who kind of decide their own life rather than employees of a cricket board.
1: Do you think this is changing? Do you think that people are starting to work this out? Or do you think because of, and Coley's the the best example. The last sort of other one I could think of was Michael Clarke would do it quite a bit as well but there aren't that many guys left batting without helmets. But realistically, do you think that within a generation, we'll be even looking back at the guys who are doing it now and just going, I can't believe they weren't wearing a helmet?
2: Why does Maxwell not wear a helmet? I want to know.
1: I mean, if you think about it, if you, Michael Clark and Vera Coley make sense because they're using their feet and coming down the wicket. But Maxwell is reverse switch hitting. It doesn't make exactly. any sense. But to be fair, how much of Maxwell's batting makes sense to begin with would be my question. <laughs>
2: Like, just, I mean, on the tactical point of view, it makes sense as well, because for a, a Kohli or a, a, a Mithali Raj, if they come out to bat against, when they spin being bold, wearing a helmet, you know they're going to use the sweep. Mm. And if they're not wearing a helmet, you can basically bring deep square leg up and not have it forever. But if they plan to the sweep, they will wear a helmet, both of them. What I, sorry, I lost uh, you. forgot your original question.
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm wondering if now the next would just be yeah. yeah, because you can't change things straight away, right? You talked about the seatbelt law before, right? When the seatbelt law came in, I still have American and South African friends as well, who don't wear seatbelts and don't believe in seatbelts, right? It's not just India and places in the subcontinent. It's like, I lived with a South African roommate who would say, yeah, I, you know, I just don't think they work. Um, and, and I don't feel comfortable, so I won't wear them. So we know that there's always going to be people who take time to come on but my question is we do this podcast again in 10 or 15 years time when we're both very old at that stage do you think that just everyone is wearing helmets around professional cricket is that the next step that just everyone in professional cricket wears helmets and then hopefully everyone in recreational cricket professional
2: cricket 100 percent. recreational cricket i don't know 15 years later. I mean, I'm not sure about this. This is an assumption, but is it fair to say that recreational cricket at a young age, your first recreational organized cricket is leather ball cricket, whereas uh, in the subcontinent, first recreational organized cricket is tennis ball cricket?
1: Yeah, it's a bit more. They've now started to use more soft balls uh, for the younger kids. But yeah, definitely, if you come from a non-Asian background, you're much more likely to have faced a proper cricket ball by the age of 10 or 11 or 12, whereas obviously in, in Asia, that's probably a little bit later, isn't it?
2: Yeah. So in recreational cricket, I'm not sure whether things will change in 10 years. In professional cricket, I'm 100% sure that things will be different. I mean, I see it in uh, the younger lot of players. I think the visibility of the freak accidents will probably contribute to that. In another era, we wouldn't have had video of Phil Hughes' death uh, because it was a state game and then it wasn't broadcast or it wasn't on film. But now everything is so visible that every freak accident is being amplified which is not a bad thing and um, so therefore I think the next generation is going to pick up a helmet as soon as they go into a uh, shop and pick up a bat which is suited for leather balls So, I think it'll be a part of that entire package that you have to invest in when you move from tennis ball to leather ball cricket it does make the barrier for entry higher Mm. and it's a complicated problem that's not easy to solve but I think it's uh, on the safety side of things this is better
1: and the money thing, it's a realistic thing. If I don't know if you saw recently, but Shane Watson has this, uh, like discount cricket gear setup that he is now doing. If you want to buy decent gear for a young kid in Australia, it's, it's getting up towards $500, $600, you know, $700. So he's come up with a, a system to use the best quality equipment for much cheaper. That is a fundamental problem within our game, realistically at this point, yeah. you know, that it, it does have a higher bar, but. At the same time, as much as we want young kids from impoverished backgrounds to have a chance to play cricket, we also don't want them to come in and actually be hurt playing cricket. And one thing that you mentioned in your piece, and I don't think people know this enough. So I, I had a column for a little while where I basically rounded up the whole world of cricket news, the most interesting stories around the world. So it wouldn't always be international cricket. It could be, you know, various different things. There was quite a few stories of domestic abuse situations that involved cricket bats that I was shocked at. And the other thing that I was shocked at is how many club cricketers around the world die batting. It happens a lot, doesn't it?
0: Yeah.
2: So it's not as rare as we think. It's not as much of a freak accident as we think. And that's why I think it will just keep declining because now these freak accidents, which, you know, used to be a small paragraph in a newspaper, which you can't visualize, let alone hear the sound of, you know, the ball crunching into someone's head that is, is becoming more and more visible. And if you really think about it, it's just bound to happen. I mean, you're playing a game where you're you taking a hard leather ball and you're aiming it at a person or you're aiming it at the stumps and the person's objective is to get in the way with a stick. And this game you're often playing, I'm thinking about, you know, my time in Bombay playing matches on um, Oval Maidan and Azad Maidan and you're playing that game in an area probably as big as the MCG. In the MCG, you have seven or eight of those games being played with a hard cricket ball and there's balls flying here and there. And it's it's just bound to happen. I don't know why people think of it as such a low probability, Uh, you know, what economists call, I think those long tail events like COVID. I mean, COVID is one of those things which is so rare that you probably wouldn't plan for it. But, and now then COVID has the additional complication of, you know, not being able to share cricket kit Because usually you'll have one common cricket kit where everyone can basically use the two helmets that the team has and you wear a bandana and you pray that, you know, people like me who sweat a lot don't get to bat. (laughs) (laughs) But now even that's complicated.
1: No, definitely. Definitely. Well, you convinced me because I do slog sweep and reverse sweep, and I don't wear a helmet. I haven't had a helmet since I played properly.
2: We're going to add a level to your Patreon to fund a helmet.
1: Exactly. I'm going to buy a helmet. But also, I think, for you know, with my kids growing up, they're obviously going to have to wear a helmet when they play cricket. But if they do get into cricket, you know, they're going to go off to the nets on their own. I don't want them to be in the nets on their own. And that's the time they're not wearing it because that's the time that, you know, they might get the top edge or their friend might give them the bouncer. So I think it's quite important um, that they start to see that sort of thing. So you have convinced me. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's very good that you are not quite quick enough to kill anyone. <laughs>
2: Uh, happy to be on Red Inker and I'm going to be remembered for that line for a long time, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening. There are links to works by my guests in the show notes. Please review this show on Apple Podcasts or on any podcasting platform you have access to. This show is made possible by the people who support us on Patreon. So thank you all to those who do. If you want to hear more Red Inker episodes and you have available funds, please help us out on Patreon, which you can find the link also in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston is the producer. He looks after your ears. And the theme tune is called The Prisoners by the Red Crickets. Podcast Network.